imagine for just a moment that you are a king. And the greatest army the world knows is threatening to lay siege to your capital city. Think about the fear that must be working its way through the city. The commander of the army of your enemy has publicly mocked you, has ridiculed you in the sight of your army and of your watchmen, has challenged you and publicly threatened that nothing can stop you. Imagine what would be going on internally. The fear, the anxiety, the stress. What would you do? Call for a meeting of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Get the army together? Have a public meeting with the entire city? Walk out and surrender? Hezekiah chose to pray. And as we just read there in 2 Kings chapter 19, Beginning at verse 15, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he had sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. When Hezekiah was faced with fear, when he was faced with doubt, when he was faced with anguish and anxiety and stress and concern and worry, and when Hezekiah wanted peace, what did he do? He prayed. I don't believe that this story demonstrates to us that any time there's a war going on, that if we just pray that God will bring peace, that, that He is going to say yes to that. And I don't think that what happens here with Hezekiah is telling us that anything that we pray for, that God is automatically going to say yes to. I don't think it's saying that. But I do think in a very physical and real way, what this prayer demonstrates to us is that when we turn to God as Hezekiah turned to God, we will have peace. We'll have peace in our heart, peace in our soul, peace in our mind, peace in our spirit. Prayer is, in fact, the connection that calms. The connection to the power of the universe that will guard our hearts and our minds. In the book of Philippians, Paul stressed this to us. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do we want the peace that passes all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds? This text says that in order to do that, we need to pray. And Hezekiah and his prayer demonstrates greatly that this is a reality. If God can bring peace to Hezekiah in this time of war based on his prayer, then God can bring peace to us in our hearts, and our souls, our minds, our spirits. If we will turn to him as Hezekiah did. If we will pray properly. But I want you to notice that we have to pray properly. Some folks have the idea that prayer is broken because they simply offer some words up in God's direction and it didn't turn out the way they wanted and they didn't feel any peace and so they begin to think that prayer just doesn't work. Notice I said, if we pray properly. It's not just if we offer some words up in God's direction. Rather, we need to take a look at Hezekiah and I want us to see some of the motivations and attitudes and faith that Hezekiah had because if we pray like he prayed, with the basis upon which he prayed, and with the motivation and attitude with which he prayed, then we'll have peace. And the God of peace will guard our hearts and minds with a peace that no one can even understand. I'd like for us to examine what happened there in Second Kings 19 and see if we can't find some things that will help us in our prayer life so that we might have the peace that God has promised us. Before we do that, would you pray with me, please? God in heaven, we love you so much, and we ask that you would be with us As we study your word today, help our hearts and minds to be open to this example of Hezekiah. Help us to see the lessons that are here for us as it deals with our prayer to you and as it deals with the peace that you're offering us by your promise and by your grace. God, we ask that you would grant us peace. Give us serenity. Give us strength through your grace to face all that we face every day. That we can trust and rely on you to take us through whatever we're facing and that we know that you'll bring us out on the other side. Father, please be with me as I present the lesson this morning. Please make sure that my attitudes and motivations are in line with your will and that this sermon is about your glory and not my own. God, we love you so much and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. The very first thing that we need to recognize about Hezekiah's prayer is that his prayer was based upon a belief in God's power. If we don't have a belief in God's power, then we can talk in God's direction all day long. It is not going to provide us peace. There are a lot of people that that offer prayers, but they don't have peace because either they don't really believe God is out there or they don't really believe that God is going to do anything or, or they don't believe that God can do anything. And so they pray because they know they're a Christian and that's what Christians are supposed to do, but they don't have any peace. Because they don't really believe in the power of God. If we want to have peace through our prayer, we have to believe in God's power. I want you to look at Hezekiah. There in verse 15, as Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kings of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. What a proclamation of the power of God. Hezekiah based his prayer on the very first verse of God's law. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What an amazing statement of God's power. I fear that sometimes we have heard that so often that, oh yeah, God created the world. It's just kind of lost on us. 
the power that this passage is demonstrating to us. I just want you to think for a moment the amazing power that it takes for God to speak light into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light. I want you to think for just a moment about the amazing power that it takes to speak life into existence from that which has no life. As God said in verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, and it was so. I want you to think for a moment the great power that it takes to speak into existence a fish or a bird or a rhino or an elephant or a man. Think for just a moment the amazing power that it takes to say, let there be the lesser light and the greater light, and let there be stars. That power is described in the book of Job, chapter 38. The book of Job, chapter 38, beginning at verse 4. This is a lengthy reading, but we need to hear it. In Job, chapter 38, and verse 4, where God answering Job. Job has been offering up all these questions and complaining about God, and God comes to him and says, all right, listen up. I'm going to question you. And you answer. And Job 38 and verse 4, he says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. Then prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be saved. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Verse 19, God continues, Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory, that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become like hard, hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on earth? Do you get the idea? Job didn't do these things. No man has done these things. These things didn't happen on their own. God did this. And Hezekiah bases his prayer on his belief in the power of God. If God can create heaven and earth from nothing, then what's the matter of providing us a little bit of peace in our heart and our soul and our mind? Ephesians chapter 3. 
verse 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. That's how powerful our God is. He's more powerful than we can possibly imagine. He is so powerful, some folks can't even fathom it. And yet, He is even more powerful than that. That's how powerful our God is. And when our prayer is based upon that belief, it can provide peace. If our prayer is not based on the belief, if we don't believe in God's power and we don't think that God can act and, 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 and don't think that He will act for our good, well, then it doesn't matter what kind of prayers we utter. That's not going to provide peace. But when we believe in that God, the God that the Bible demonstrates, the God of all power, who can do even what we cannot imagine, then our prayer can provide us with peace. Similarly, Hezekiah believed that only God could provide him peace. Hezekiah believed that God alone was the one to whom he could turn. Again, in verse 15 of 2 Kings 19, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Specifically in this context, what we need to recognize that Hezekiah is saying is, why would I rely on any of the other kings on the earth? Why would I go to Egypt? Why would I go to anyone else, God, but you to provide me peace right here? And one of the reasons so many people pray but they don't have peace is because while they will pray and they hope that maybe someday God might do something, they still have the idea that they can come up with peace from other means, that they can get peace in other places by pursuing their own ends. And so they might turn to sin, immorality, drinking, drugs, gambling, personal control and manipulation, revenge. All manner of things to try to get peace all on their own. And so they have offered up that prayer, but then essentially they just took it right back saying, but really God, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. It's only when we come to grips with the fact that God alone can give us peace that we can pray as Hezekiah did and we can have the peace. Only when we can say along with the psalmist in Psalm 18, Psalm 18 and verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Only when we recognize that God is our strength and we are not. That God is our rock and nothing else is. That God is our fortress and nothing else can protect us. Only then, when we'll be able to pray as Hezekiah did, and only then can we have the peace. Because we believe in the power of God and we know that God alone is the giver of peace. And we're turning to Him because He is the only one that can do it. But if we have the idea that we can get peace someplace else, 
We might offer up that prayer, but we'll keep pursuing all these other ends and wreck the peace that God is offering us only when we recognize that God alone can give us the peace. Will we have the peace He offers? Hezekiah recognized that the devil lies. If we want to have peace through our prayers, we have to recognize the devil's lies and we must not succumb to them. Think about what Sennacherib said. Sennacherib said there in 2 Kings 19 and verse 10, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of Sepharvan, the king of Hena, or the king of Eva? Where are all those? They're gone. They're destroyed because their gods couldn't help them and your God won't help you. Satan wanted Hezekiah to doubt the power of his God. Satan wanted Hezekiah to believe that, that there was nothing that could be done for him. Satan presented his argument and it seemed pretty airtight as far as man might be concerned. Nobody else's gods have been able to stop us. It demonstrates that our gods are much more powerful than everyone else. Sennacherib says. But Hezekiah recognized the lies. Oh, sure, he recognized that Assyria had conquered all those other lands. But he recognized Satan's lies in this argument. And notice what he says in his prayer. Verse 17. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their land and have cast their gods into the fire. But why? For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. As far as man was concerned, this was an airtight argument. Hey, I've whooped everybody else. You're just this little bitty nation over here. Your God won't help either. But Hezekiah recognized the devil's lies. And he refused to submit. And he came to Jehovah God, whom he believed was God alone, who created the heavens and earth, who was not made by men's hands, but made men's hands. And he laid out this letter before God and said, God, take a look at this. And do something about it. And he had peace. Going along with this, we must not succumb to the devil's lies, but we must trust God's truth. We must trust God's Word. When Hezekiah prayed, Isaiah brought him a prophecy. And there in 2 Kings 19 and verse 20, it says, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. 
By your messengers you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, With my many chariots, I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug well, drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what I now bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins. While their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way which you came. Do you hear what God's saying to Assyria? God's saying, I know you've done all this. Did you think you were doing this on your own? Oh no, you were doing this because I was having you do this. But now listen. Verse 29, And this shall be the sign for you. This year eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs of the same. Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. And now he's turning to a prophecy using the year of Jubilee to talk about how Judah is going to survive no matter what happens. But then verse 32, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Here was the word of the Lord. You know, in time past, God had told the kings at times to build up their armies and to go out and to fight, but not this time. This time God says, I've heard his mocking and I'll take care of this one. And Hezekiah trusted him. And that night, verse 35, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramalak and Sherezer, his son, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Look at that. Sennacherib's god couldn't even save Sennacherib's life in his god's own house, let alone take out Jehovah in Judah. Hezekiah trusted the word of the Lord. You see, if we're going to be able to have peace through our prayers, we need to trust the Word of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, when Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Do you believe that? Do you trust God's Word that He wants to take care of you? Do you trust God's Word that when you put Him first and you seek His kingdom and His righteousness above all other things, that He'll provide for you and He'll take care of you and so you can have peace? You see, if we can't trust God's Word and we can't trust God's promises, we can say prayers all day long, we can offer up words to God, but we are not going to have peace. It's only when we believe in God's power and believe that God's power is turned toward us to take care of us that we can have peace through our prayers. Interestingly, if you look in Philippians chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 4, just after it explained that we need to not be anxious but cast everything on God by prayer, he says in verse 8 of Philippians 4, 
Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see that? We often turn to verse 6 and 7 and talk about the fact that if we just pray, God's peace will guard our hearts. And we miss that he also says that if we want that God of peace to be with us, we need to practice what that God teaches. You see, trusting in the Word of God doesn't mean I offer up a prayer and sit on my thumbs. Trusting in the Word of God means that I recognize God's Word and I just do what He says. I'm just going to do what's right because God said to do it. And I'm going to just turn everything else over to God. I'm not going to worry about how me doing His right thing is going to affect anyone else or, or, or how it's going to work or how God's going to use that. I'm just going to say, God said it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to rely on God because I know He is the most powerful being in the universe. He created heaven and earth. He alone can provide me with peace. He is my rock. He is my fortress. I'm just going to do what He says, and God will take care of things. That doesn't mean everything's going to go the way I want, but I trust God that His way is right. I'm just going to do what he says. I have the faith of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I have that trust. I trust God. I trust his promises. I'm just going to do what he says. Because that's the right thing to do. Not because I think, well, if I do this, then God will do it. Just because it's the right thing to do, and I'm just going to trust God to take care of it. And the things that concern me, the things that worry me, the things that I don't understand, I offer those anxieties up to God, and I recognize that He's promised to take care of me, and He'll do it. And I'm just going to trust in it. If we have that, we can have peace through our prayers. But without that, we can offer up prayers all day long, but we're going to continue to be fixed right in our anxiety. Hezekiah was able to have peace because Hezekiah was more worried about God's glory than his own request. Hezekiah, and this is the most important part of this lesson. If you don't remember any of the other points, remember this one. Hezekiah was able to have peace because when Hezekiah prayed, he wasn't worried, really, about his peace. He was focused on God. I want you to listen to what he says. In verse 16, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Snickerib, which he sent to threaten our city. Is that what your says? Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to scare us. Is that what you're saying? Incline your ear, O Lord, to hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, to see the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. 
What was Hezekiah concerned about? When he listened and heard Sennacherib's letter, was he concerned that Jerusalem might be destroyed? Was he concerned that he might die? No, he was concerned that the God who made heaven and earth had been mocked. And so when he actually laid out his request in verse 19, So now, O Lord our God, save us please from His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You, O Lord, are God alone. What's Hezekiah concerned about? Now, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there wasn't any concern about the safety of Jerusalem or his own life. But the great desire of his heart was not, oh Lord God, make sure Jerusalem sticks around forever. The great desire of his heart right here was, God, this king is mocking you. Please show the world that you are God. He wasn't concerned about his will, he was concerned about God's glory. And when we, through our prayers, can be concerned about God's will and God's glory, we'll have peace. The problem is, so many of us offer up prayers, but we still have all kinds of anxieties because we're actually offering up selfish prayers. In James chapter 4 and verse 3, James said, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, here's the problem. We come to God in prayer and we throw it out there to them, but because what we're really thinking about is our own passions, our own pleasure, we have this little nagging fear at the back of our mind that maybe God doesn't want what we want. And maybe God's plans for me are not my plans for me. And maybe God's will for my life is, is not my will. So maybe I can throw that prayer out there and he won't respond because, because what I'm praying for isn't what he wants. And so we keep hanging back because we want to keep pursuing our own will. But when we, like Hezekiah at this point in his life, can throw ourselves on the will of God and be more concerned about his glory and his will through our prayers, then we'll have peace. Because only in that mindset can we pray like Jesus did in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And along with that statement is, God, I will be happy with whatever your will is. I know I may want this over here, but God, if this is your will, I'll be happy with that because I'm concerned about your glory. And more than any of the things I want, God, I want what you want. When we can have that, then we'll have peace. And I know that all of you are looking at the slide and some of you are saying, oh good, there's no room for another point. He must be done. I don't know how I did this. But I forgot to put one point up on the slide, so you just have to remember this one. And that's my fault. This one's not Richard's fault. I try to blame a lot of it on him, but I have to take this one. (laughs) 
And perhaps the reason why I forgot to put it up there is kind of an illustration about the point I wanted to make anyway, because there's one thing here that's really obvious, that because it's so obvious, we might overlook it. On the things that are on the screen now, we've talked about motivations, we've talked about faith, we've talked about attitude, but if we stop here, we still won't have peace. Because the thing that we need to understand is that prayer is the connection that calms. And we need to look at verse 20. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. I want you to recognize how important that statement is. It's great that we believe in God's power. It's great that we believe God alone can take care of us. It's great that we don't accept the devil's lies. And it's wonderful that we trust God's Word and that we want God's glory above all other things. But Hezekiah could have had all of that, and if he had not prayed, his prayer would not have been heard. Isaiah comes to him and says, your prayer was heard. We need the motivations, we need the attitudes, but we have to remember if we don't pray, we're not inviting God to be a part of it. So if we want to pray like Hezekiah, we have to at least remember this one fundamental and yes, obvious thing, but we must not overlook it. And that is, is that it's not enough just to have some type of attitude or faith. That faith has to convert into action of actually turning it over to God. Of actually casting our anxieties upon Him, as Philippians 4, 6 says. As, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, of actually casting our cares upon Him. As 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16 says, beginning in verse 16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If we want this peace, prayer must be our constant and continual work. Of course, if we have all this, I think prayer will be our constant and continual work. But here's the frightening thing from that concept, and that is is that if we're not praying, that means some of these things are missing. Prayer can give us peace. Prayer is the connection that calms. But it's not just offering some words up to God. We need to pray like Hezekiah prayed here in 2 Kings 19. God came down. And in verse 35, the angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. If the angel of the Lord can in one night kill 185,000 people who are enemies of God's people, don't you think the Lord can conquer whatever it is that's causing your fear and doubt in your life and bring you peace? Quit taking it back to yourself. Take it to God. Lay it at His feet. Get in the Word and just do the next right thing. 